0: Read from Ephesians, Ephesians five, verses nineteen through to six through to verse nine. So we start at Ephesians five, verse eighteen. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands. through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hates his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the Church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the Church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, Obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them, not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as you are serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free.
1: Thanks for that, Tom. I'll start by reading to you just a passage from—not a passage, a piece—from a book called *Knowing God*. And the piece I'll read is not from this book's author; it's from the great Baptist preacher, uh, Charles Spurgeon. It's a bit of a long passage. It's written in 1855. Strange words. Listen carefully. See if you can feel the depth of this. It has been said by someone that the proper study of mankind is man. I won't oppose the idea, but I believe it is equally true that the proper study of God's people is God. The proper study of a Christian is the Godhead. The highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name and nature person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God whom he or she calls their father. There is, not, there is something exceedingly improving to the mind in a contemplation of the divinity. It is a subject so vast that all our thoughts are lost in its immensity, so deep that our pride is drowned in its infinity. Other subjects we can Compass we can grapple with. In them we feel a kind of self-content and go our way with the thought, Behold, I am wise. But when we come to this master science, finding that our plumb line cannot sound its depth and that our eagle eye cannot see its height, we turn away with the thought that vain man would be wise, but he is like a wild ass's colt, And with solemn exclamation, I am but of yesterday and know nothing. No subject of contemplation will tend more to humble the mind than thoughts of God. But while the subject humbles the mind, it also expands it. He who often thinks of God will have a larger mind than the person who simply plods around this narrow globe. The most excellent study for expanding the soul is the science of Christ and Him crucified. The knowledge of the Godhead in the glorious Trinity, nothing will so enlarge the intellect, nothing so magnify the whole soul of man as a devout, earnest, continued investigation of the great subject of God. And whilst humbling and expanding, this subject is eminently consolatory. Listen to this. Oh. There is in contemplating Christ a balm for every wound. In musing on the Father, there is a quietus for every grief. And in the influence of the Holy Spirit, there is a balsam for every sore. Would you lose your sorrow? Would you drown your cares? Then go plunge yourself in the Godhead's deepest sea, be lost in its immensity, and you shall come forth as from a couch of rest, refreshed, invigorated. I know nothing which can so comfort the soul, so calm the swelling billows of sorrow and grief, so speak peace to the winds of trial as a devout musing upon the subject of who God is." powerful words. (laughs) And I think that's what we've done for the last few weeks in looking at Ephesians, really. Our minds have been expanded, our hearts have been humbled, and we've been consoled, comforted. By thinking about who God is, In, in his greatness we have been We have been encouraged, and and that's what we did, really. Ephesians chapters 1, 2, 3, uh, a number of weeks ago. Ephesians chapter, well, number 4 the sermon, we said, okay, because of who God is and, and who we are in him, this is how we now should live. Last week, we said we need to dress well. Because we are kids of God, we need to dress like kids of God. We need to behave appropriately. This week and next week, we're looking at uh, essentially two parts of the same sermon. You heard Ton's reading; it had a lot to say about marriage, wives, husbands. It has a lot to say about singleness. Actually, has a lot to say about children. You and your parent, you and your parents, your parents and you. Has a lot to say about slavery. We're going to have to deal with that. And I have to deal with employers, employees, your boss, the people who work for you. That's all next week. I want it read today because it's part of the same block, but we're not going to deal with that today. For today, and really for next week too, there's only one main point. One main point. Here it is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, <laughs> but... Be filled with the Spirit. (laughs) That's kind of it. That's that's the main thing of everything that Ton has read to us this morning. Everything that's going to flow forth flows from this. Be filled with the Spirit. Uh, You might even think at this stage, okay, we're going to talk about wine and drunkenness and alcohol consumption, but no, we're not really. It's it's sort of a strange thing. I I can't take you through the workings of it, but for... For the guy who writes this, his name's Paul, for him to start talking here about not getting drunk, it's really out of place. Like, you wonder why does he stick it into the letter of Ephesians here. Um, And I think he doesn't really want to talk about drunkenness or alcohol abuse, although that's a subject worthy of talking about. That's not the point he wants to get across. He's going for a different point. Here's his point. When we drink, when we binge drink, Australians are... Some of the highest uh, binge drinkers of the world, although that trend is going down. Actually, uh, I read this week uh, the Ephesian people were some of the highest binge drinkers of their time. They really were. They had a, a cult worship Dionysius, which is all about fertility and drinking and the fruit of the vine. And man, it was—it was. Yeah, it, it would have made the 60s look lame if you were to see what they did and how they lived and how they. Drank and those sorts of things. And here's what happened to them, here's what happens to us. Two things happen. When we, when we go on a binge, we put ourselves in a, in a realm, in a circle, in a crowd of people where, you know, the accepted thing to do is that we would get smashed, we would get drunk or we'd get tipsy or whatever it is. You know, that's the realm or the circle, the accepted cultural norm in which we live. So we, we move in that circle that's what happens to us externally and internally. We become under the control and the influence of alcohol. You know, <laughs> I assume you know what it's like. Maybe you don't. Good for you if you don't. But what it's like to be under the influence of alcohol, right? Our thoughts, our behaviour, our words, they're not quite our own. They, they're sort of enhanced. They're, they're driven by the effects of the alcohol. Right. That's what Paul has in mind, but that's not really what he wants to talk about. What he wants to talk about, fascinatingly, is he's saying, if you're a child of God, it works different for you. You're part of a different environment, part of a different crowd, part of a different realm, the realm of the Spirit. The people who you hang out with and are putting yourself amongst are the fellow children of God and as you find yourself in that environment externally what would happen to you internally you should come under the control of the Holy Spirit just like, not just like somewhat like, the alcohol might drive what you think, do behave in that environment in this environment it's different it's the Holy Spirit that that drives it, don't don't be like this, is what he says. Be, be under a different influence. Be under the power of a different force as you move in a different realm amongst God's children and in the life that God wants you to live, is what he's getting at. And once that starts to happen in you, X, Y, Z is going to happen, and we'll get into that soon. I just want to hover here for a little while. You might be thinking, <coughs> you know, my... my My teaching, my understanding of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit is that I am filled with the Holy Spirit when I become a Christian. When I reach the point that I say, I believe in Jesus. He's died for the forgiveness of my sins, and God is my Father. He loves me, and I love him. It's true. If you can say that, you have the full Holy Spirit. Scripture is clear. No one can say, Jesus is Lord of my life, unless they have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person. I don't have time to plumb the depths of who he is and how he works and all the theology of it, but he's a person. You cannot break him up into parts. We don't get filled with him in parts. But, but, your experience of Him, your experience of how He takes over control of your thoughts and your microphone and (laughs) all sorts of things, (laughs) that does come in parts. That is a journey that sees increases upon increases upon increases. That's not an instantaneous thing. And so everything that we're going to talk about now is, is, I think what Paul gets at here is to say, I hope that your experience of living under the control and the influence in the realm of the Spirit is something that is going to increase, be filled with the control of the Spirit. May your experience increase. Okay. How 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 do I do that? How do I have my my experience of the Holy Spirit increased. What do I do? Four things, very briefly. Number one, we've covered some of this before in the series. You have to know what the Word of God says. You have to know the Bible. Jesus said, "I, The words I've spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and of life. We don't know how it works. There's this mysterious connection between the words that Jesus has spoken to us and the Spirit. To a degree, knowing the words means knowing the Spirit. This is what the Spirit wants to do. And so, and so we, we've got to get to know what God says, but we don't just need to get to know what God says in our heads. We need to deeply believe what He says in here is true. The question we always ask ourselves, must ask ourselves when we read the Bible is, what will my life look like? If all those fruits that were up here, if they were real, if I was more patient this week with my child, if I did possess the self-control when I looked at the pornography, how would it be different? if that power was surging through my life, and if at a depth we get to, maybe by imagination even, envisage that, you know what, it starts to happen. The power starts to flow through. The more we meditate on the truth of these words, the more its power gets unleashed and unlocked in our lives. Thirdly, we've got to obey it. There's something about obeying the word that we meditate on that unleashes or releases the Spirit's power in our lives. Number four, we've got a hunger and thirst for Him. You know when you go to a bar, talking about drinking? They put peanuts out there, because it's salty. What does salt do? It makes you thirsty. When you're thirsty, you drink more. Uh, You know what? It's awkward to talk about (laughs) those illustrations of the Holy Spirit, but hunger, thirst, Um, eat peanuts, (laughs) spiritual peanuts. I, I want to know this power. God has given me the Holy Spirit. I, I want to be in Him. I want to experience that as He as He does His work in me. So that we do by praying. Uh, Lord, I pray that You make me hungry and thirsty for an increased experience of the Spirit's power in my life and in our life. All right. Four things, very quickly. We can spend a series on these things. Okay. If if I do that. If I I am filled, if my experience of the Spirit's power increases, what are some of the things I'll do? Number one, it's mind-blowing, and you're going to be very disappointed because it's actually underwhelming to start off with on a worldly level. You're going to think, this wow spiritual revolution of what I'm going to do when I have this extra increase of the Spirit's power in my life. Number one, you know what you're going to want to do? You're going to want to come to church and you're going to want to sing. (laughs) I don't want to ask who's going to put up their hands to say who likes singing in church. Um, But you know, this is what Paul says. If you're going to experience the Spirit's power greater in your life, the first thing that the Spirit's going to try and do is He's going to make us Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit. Sing, make music from your heart to the Lord. He doesn't have in mind you by yourself alone while we do sing and praise God alone. He primarily has in mind when Christians gather, when they come together to sing. And I don't know about you, but I have to ask myself, what is it about music and singing that makes that the first thing that we're going to see if we're experiencing the Spirit's power. Why music? Why music at my church? Why, right? Here's why I think. It's quite fascinating. Neuroscientists note that music accesses the same parts of the brain as sex, food and addictive drugs. (laughs) drugs. <laughs> There's something about music that we need as humans, we, we're wired that way, we, we, we crave it, we want it, we need it like we need food. We desire it like we might desire sex. And just like food, sex and drugs are all good things that we need, and that God created for us to enjoy we can abuse it, we can be owned by it, we can be destroyed by it, think about the number of deaths, drug related deaths at music festivals that we've seen, I think about the amount of pastoral conversations I've had with people whose marriages were wrecked because of the music that he was addicted to, right? The power of it is incredible! when it comes to music. And, and, and that's definitely what happened to the Ephesian Christians. And Paul says, no, no. The Holy Spirit has a very different idea to your life when it comes to music. Here's his idea, I think, well put by great composer Bach. He was all about music. He says, this is what I do. I play the notes as they are written, but it is God who makes the music. This is an eloquent way of expressing a non-physicalist view of music. It's more than the notes. Music is something that God is doing through the notes. God wants to do something in you through music. And that's why it's important. That's why it's important that we come together. It's why it's important that we sing, that we sing to each other so that God can do stuff in us through that. That's why we do it. That's why the Spirit makes us want to do it. Right? Right? Let me think some of your thoughts after you. If you're under 18, here's your number one thought. Oh, my church's music sucks. That's your default position when you're 18. Nothing wrong with the music. That's what I thought. That's what everyone thinks. That's usually what people think, right? Music sucks. Others may be thinking, music doesn't make me feel more spiritual. The music that we make here doesn't do anything for me. It doesn't... doesn't you know, make me feel more in touch with the Spirit. It, it just doesn't give it to me. Others might say, oh, I can't sing. <laughs> so, so, so this whole thing about music and singing, it's not for me. I don't, I don't get anything out of that, right? It's not for me. Okay, a few quick reflections to consider. You're doing well. Number one, Notice, Paul's instruction about music, to sing and make music, that comes after being filled with the Spirit. (laughs) Music isn't supposed to enhance our experience of the Spirit. It is the Spirit with whom we're filled that's supposed to enhance the music we want to make to God. (laughs) starting point is not with the music, it's with... With the spirit to say, "Make me sing. Make me want to sing. Make me so overjoyed, so overwhelmed, so happy that I'd sing anywhere anytime. I don't even care what I sound like. I was going to sing a song to you, but I thought, no, I shouldn't do that. It's not right. Why you laugh? My wife <laughs> um, Be filled with the spirit. He is going to make you want to sing, right? That's the starting point, not the other way around. Number two, here's a story from my own life this week. Last week, in fact. No, this week. Um, (laughs) I had an incredible truth encounter. I think of the truth of this verse of why we should sing. Um, We had a baby born last week, Friday. You know, usually when that happens, it's a challenging... Not challenging, but you're emotionally... Emotions are running high, and you are exhausted, fatigued. I did all the hard work, of course, (laughs) throughout this arduous and long process. Um, And I went out one day. I thought, I just need to, I don't want to think, I don't want to talk, I just want to go and sit somewhere here by the river. I'm the guy, the shabby guy on a rock there by myself. And I just want to be quiet before God, I want to see what he does. This is what comes up in my mind. It's Tuesday morning. And, uh, you know, in my previous church, there was a song we used to sing, and I hated it. Every time we had to discuss whether this song should remain on the list, I was for culling it and getting rid of it. Didn't like it. Didn't like it. And as I sat on that rock, saying, God, you speak to me, you do what you want to do. <laughs> what came to my mind? The Words of that song. And I started humming it and whistling it and then singing it out loud. You are my hope. You are my strength. Hope like no other, strength like no other. Your love, O oh Lord, lifts me up. <laughs> it was the most overwhelming experience of God's love for me, His, His hope for us. And so, you may not like the stuff you sing but do not underestimate the power of the music do not underestimate the power in how God can use even the stuff that you do not like to sing right there's stuff from my childhood that still come to mind that I had to sing with two thousand other people on an organ and it still lifts me up so number two Sure, subjectively you may not like it, subjectively it may not be what you want to do, but the bottom line is God can still use it powerfully in your life. Number three, we've got to grow and do music well in our church. And that's our desire. If you have a gift to enhance making the notes so that God can do the music in us, we want to know about it. You've got to come. Do not hold back your gifts because The Spirit wants to do this with us in music. Learn to play an instrument. Learn how to sing. Let's work with it. Bless us as God wants to bless us with singing and music. Okay, that's number one. Number two, much shorter because we've talked about this during the prayer series. So I'm almost done. If I experience the Spirit's power in my life, what will happen? I'll always be giving thanks to God the Father. (laughs) You sit here and say, I have nothing to be thankful for right now. My life's a mess. I'm overwhelmed with brokenness, with hurt, with loneliness, with fear. I believe you. That may be true. But let me ask you a question this morning. Are you a child of God? If yes then you have everything to be thankful for. (laughs) You're adopted. You are loved. Your future is secure. And everything that we said about Ephesians 1 is still true of you no matter what. And what's going to happen when you say thank you to God for those things every time? Here it is as a quote. In giving thanks, you acknowledge your utter dependence on God while at the same time you're expressing to Him God, I trust you completely. Lord, thank you that I'm your child. Thank you that this thing that's hurting me, that's weighing me down, that I'm afraid of, that I'm worried about, that I'm angry about, thank you. Thank you that your spirit is sufficient for this and that I'm still your child and you still love me and you're going to make it okay in good time. You see what it does? It elevates you out of your misery and into God's glorious light, who he is. It's amusing on the Godhead. Everything Charles Spurgeon said, and it will change you every time. And that's why we say thanks. It's not just because it sounds good or it's polite. No. It's powerful in changing us. Okay? So, let's finish. Be filled with the Spirit. Know the Spirit-filled word. Experience the power of the Spirit. Believe in it. Obey it. Eat peanuts. Ask that we would hunger and thirst for Him. And if we do... We'll sing. We'll be saying thank you. And next week, we're going to look at the most surprising one of all of them. We'll submit. Submit in marriage. Submit in kids and parents. Submit between bosses and workers. Okay, That's next week. I invite you to pray after the service. If you'd like to pray into this with us, if you'd like to pray with us for an increased experience of the Holy Spirit in your life with whom you may be filled, if you'd like to pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit because you do not know Jesus, come, we'd love to pray with you. If not, please pray with me now, just in your hearts. Father, please make us thirsty and hungry for the Spirit. Let us want to experience his power, experience his love, his encouragement. Let us rely on him. Let it make us sing. Let it make us not help ourselves to say thank you. Though the fig tree doesn't bud, though there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the Fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet, (laughs) by your Spirit, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. Spirit of God, increase our experience of your power. Let your presence fall and let us keep in step with you we ask gratefully in Jesus name Amen Thank you music team